0: Everybody and welcome to the Profusion Data Podcast
1: with me, Henrik Nordmark. And me, David Reinstein. How are you doing today, David? Oh, I'm not bad. I'm in a place called Newburyport in Massachusetts on semi-holiday, so the perfect place to record a data podcast. Semi-holiday,
0: so, so does that mean that you're doing more work than you actually should be? Uh,
1: it depends who you ask, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask my wife, probably, uh... <laughs>
0: Uh yeah, well I've been just trying to soak in a bit of London before moving. Uh, I went to see the first night of the Proms. That was really fun.
1: That's great. Who did uh, you see, or what did you see?
0: Uh, it was just a classical concert. Uh, by I've never seen like the organ. Uh, like the, the organ at the proms is, is, is ma- uh, sorry, at, the uh, at the Royal uh, Albert Hall. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And, uh, I mean, I've seen, I've seen it in the background, but I've never actually heard it played. And that was
1: fantastic to, to it's listen to. It's not just a large and expensive prop.
0: No, it's not. It's real.
1: So, <laughs> was it, uh, was it, uh, was it Bach? What were they playing? Oh, I, Putting I, you on I the spot can't here.
0: Yeah, I can't remember. I, I'm terrible with. What did it sound
1: like? Do a few, I'm a few bars of it then. Eh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm not musical at all, so that, that's not going to help. Uh, the other thing I saw was uh, a Van Gogh or Van Gogh exhibition, yeah. uh, a VR one, so it kind of looks like you're walking through his paintings. Um, and that was really uh, entertaining. Uh, and then tomorrow I'm going to see the Mousetrap, uh, the Agatha Christie play. That's the longest running show. In London.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, then it must be good, right? Unless people just keep getting trapped in thinking that it, that it's good because other people came, right?
0: <laughs> That's true. The self-reinforcing bias or some kind. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: that sounds fun. It sounds like you're really so- soaking it in, slurping up the dregs of London right there before you take your flight. Indeed. So today we have a interesting guest. Toby Jolly is going to be on the podcast
0: yeah, I guess it's really interesting because he's coming to us from a very different area. Previously, we've just interviewed people from the private sector. Uh, but Toby is actually a civil servant working in the, in the cabinet office. So it'd be really interesting to see his take
1: on things. Yeah, he's a different sort of guy who really wants to make a, a positive difference in the world, unlike all of our other guests. <laughs> Sorry, just joking about that. So yeah, he's, he's works at, uh, in civil service for quite some time. And he's been doing working educa- in the education and, and uh, the cabinet office, I believe. And uh, now he's doing something at the grants office. And he also has a, uh, a, a project of his own called Hype. So we're going to hear a little bit about what that is. Okay. Well, without
0: further ado, then, let's see what happened when we met Toby Jolly. All right. We're joined now by this week's guest. David and I are very excited to have him on the show. Aren't we, David. Absolutely. Welcome to Toby Jolly. Hello. How are you, Toby? Are you having a good week?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I had a yeah, pretty good week so far.
0: Yeah, what have you been up to?
2: Um, so, I mean, mostly actually a lot of handover work this week. Uh, so, because a bunch of people leaving the team have to take over their work and, uh, yeah, get everything in place. But... I, I hate that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> Hold up a sec. Now, Toby, for those who don't know, can you tell us what exactly is it that you do?
2: Yeah, so um I work in the grants management function, um which is in cabinet office uh in the UK government. Um and I mean I can talk a little bit about the what the grants management function does. Essentially it's a a team, um the a central team that coordinates the rest of government's grant making processes or or tries to improve um the way in which the rest of the government makes grants, which is a sort of fairly huge area of government spending it's yeah over over 100 billion in a typical year and even more when did you uh, just say over
1: it, 100 billion in a typical year
2: over 100 billion yeah
1: that's quite a lot out of um, out of a government budget of what are what are we now for four or 500 billion
2: pounds per year uh it's a bit more than i think it's closer to 800 so I think it's All about right. 13 13 is the number we quote i got um, it i got so, it yeah. and
1: who are the who are these grants going to? I mean, I know in the United States there's a lot of grants going to lower government entities or you know sub-government entities, federalism, states and stuff. When you're talking about grants, are you talking about grants to local councils or or what sort of what sort of things?
2: Yes, there's lots of different things. I guess there's a huge portion of those is uh, school grants. So um schools are funded by kind of funded by grants um and yeah, a lot our local authorities um, then also, uh, universities receive a huge portion of that money as well. That's they,
1: terrific. Uh, well,
0: I'm uh, kind of curious about your background because yeah. it seems like you started out in uh, biology, or actually biochemistry, and then population genetics. Uh, how, how did you transition from that to uh, the civil service and, and today science?
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, as I said, I, I started out in doing biochemistry uh, when I when I graduated. Uh, my you know I took a job in a lab because that was yeah you know, the skills that I developed a, a, during university and um even then I sort of found myself gravitating towards data related things I like took mm. control of the stock system in the lab which <laughs> is not really not really science it's just managing stock levels because there was some you know there's some excel sheets and I could um yeah I could track levels of declining stock and try and optimize the intake of stock um which I just did because it was fun. Um, but yeah, then after I left that job, I went traveling because you know, I wanted to figure out what I was doing with my life. Mm. And um, yeah, I ended up working on some personal projects. You know you're a data or a
1: quant type person if you think that managing stock levels is fun, right? Because I don't think the other people in the lab probably <laughs> shared your opinion. They were pretty happy with that synergy there, I imagine.
2: Yeah, yeah, So pretty you, you,
1: you traveled abroad, you said. Is that right yep. and then how does how does this take a man or, or a person to uh to data science and to the civil service and to statistics
2: yeah so as I said I said I was I did this project just um because I I mean it actually came out of an argument with my girlfriend at the time um okay. about which road between our houses was the most dangerous because there was two options there was like <laughs> a there was like a motorway um route by, I mean this is, so I lived in Uh, Yorkshire at the time she lived in Derbyshire and you could go by the motorway or you could go over the tops on the A roads and she was insistent that the motorway was safer and therefore the better option Um, and I um, disagreed I preferred going over the over over this supposedly more dangerous A road and I uh, wanted to prove her wrong because I Mm. Valued. Did, did you guys break up over this? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah, well, you're I, Clearly, um, a man being right more dangerously. Than dangerously. I, yeah. Yeah. I essentially just turned this into a data project. So I um, got loads of data from the Department for Transport, um, just stuff that they, stuff that they publish, and tried to calculate the risk on those roads specifically. And that took me to this sub question of like which, um, which types of roads are more dangerous in general, and the, also the broader question of whether satnav should be taking people on safer roads so that sort of was my first introduction to doing a big a of f- like a big data project
1: but don't don't keep us in the hanging before before you get to that so which was
2: safer and how confident are you in your answer um, yeah, so the safe, the safest route was the motorway, so she was right, um, I was very <laughs> wrong. And, um, yeah, it was quite, it was quite a significant difference. If, so we're just taking the average of roads in general, of that type of road, but motorways are just, like, way safer than rural and roads. And safety
0: was just being measured by, like, not having a road accident or something like that.
2: Yeah, it's it actually, I mean, it was about, we, the proxy we used was the number of deaths on that type of road. Um, so there are, okay. like, a, there's, like, a broad range of... Different types of accident that can happen, but I used um deaths as like a, an ambiguous marker of road dangerousness. Um, gonna,
1: okay, well, I'm going to resist the temptation to dig deeper into that one. And uh, so, so how did this then bring you into this either studying statistics further or civil service?
2: Yes, I mean, I guess that that project gave me sort of the confidence that I, you know, and the self uh, understanding to be able to just start applying for data analysis jobs, and that's how I uh, got a data analyst job in. So a consultancy, it's called Alps. They um do reports for schools on the outcomes from exams, and they like compare them to some sort of national benchmarks. Um, so I started there. That was back in Huddersfield for a couple of years. Then I sort of got the got the itch that many people do to move to London. Um, and applied for a job in in the Department for Education, which, given that this consultancy was uh, education based, seemed like it made sense. It sort of I had some of that domain expertise. Yeah, got a job as a yeah, as a statistician in the Department of Education. Um, yeah, yeah, there for a couple of years, and then um, then moved to moved to Cabinet Office, um, and I've had a yeah, couple of jobs in cabin Office now.
1: Okay, so what is the process of entering the civil service like? Uh, I, you have t- is, is there a test to take? I only know of, of a lot of students getting in these accelerated routes. What what were the route that you take?
2: Yeah, so assuming yeah, by accelerated routes. I mean, there's the the fast stream is sort of uh, one That's of the standard I mean. ways in which people come in. That's like a um most of those are like policy roles um so non non non-analytical roles um there are analytical fast streams as well um but i think they're slightly less popular than the the policy fast stream
1: analytical is more math oriented or
2: yeah essentially like you you'll be part of some analytical professions there's like four um sort of analytical professions that have a body um that sort of governs the standards of uh people working in that profession so there's like statistics operational research, um, social research, and economics. And if you want to be in those professions, you uh, have to take a, a test during the interview that um, tests you against um, the base skills you would need.
0: So without this sounding like too much of a loaded question, do you think that the civil service is a good place for data scientists to go, or aspiring data scientists to uh, start out their careers?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a very wide variety of things that people or analysts do in the civil service um so in my first job i was mostly building mostly building a dashboard for looking at school spending data um i also did some like inferential stuff around uh, the like the um impact of different policy policies on schools of different types and yeah i think in my more recent jobs i've been a bit more like data flow and publication and um more data visualization related activity in,
1: inferential as in trying to make a causal to to make some causal inference right? what sort of what sort of routes to causality just if you could just give a quick peek at it to, were, were approached
2: yeah so i mean i mean that particular project it was um i mean the the plan um i, I wasn't there for the implementation uh, but the plan was to do like a regression discontinuity on on the impact of a policy
1: Oh that Absolutely. seems rather sophisticated. Yeah, that's impressive. Um okay but let me let me spin that a little bit uh not spin but 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 fork what with the Henry's question. So what sort of data scientists should go into civil service? Mm. What sort of data scientists shouldn't go into civil service?
2: Yeah I suppose um I mean imagine um, so I, I guess so I, one thing I don't have is like a lot of a lot of industry expertise in data science. Um so I can't do like a really yeah. clear comparison but um I think the one thing that civil service has that nowhere else really can possibly have is like just having these huge huge problems that are like really influential and um you're like close to people making um yeah really important decisions about how the country is run yeah in terms of the technical details i i broadly expect it to be similar um
0: mm. uh would you say that uh the civil service is a good place for data scientists like do good in the world like if they you know are a do-gooder who wants to like change the world and have an impact on society
2: yeah I i definitely think so i mean i think um my i guess my model for uh impact as a data person um is that you need to find people making important decisions and then you need to be the person who's bringing like good data and analysis to those decisions um, so it's like, and, wow, yeah. and the the civil service puts you in that position. So it well, does. Um,
1: we'll yeah. come back to this a little bit when we when we ask you about hype. Um, uh, but may, maybe just 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 continuing with this, um, I think there might be a lot of cool stuff going on in government. The government might be being rethought and being potentially made more transparent. Maybe getting more feedback from the quote customers of government uh do you think what are some innovations in in data science or machine learning uh or yeah data processes and data science that have impacted uh the way government works or or that might impact the way government work that might justify different approaches to let's say transparency
2: yeah so I'd say like the um the data science community in government has been growing like a, what seems like a lot while i've been there um like events that run across government um to support the data science community uh, like really well attended while I was in the department for education there was like a huge move to like um automate and code up a lot of a lot of the analysis that was happening. Um, so just essentially just this move from Excel to I mean is R is the mm. was the main tool. but um, mm-hmm. I mean I think R was actually um people do use Python, but mostly people use R in in government um and yeah there's there's data science conferences now um cross government um data science work i think that i mean that's just like the data science community stuff there's um if i'm thinking about things that are going to sort of really revolutionize how government um uses data i suspect most of the change is going to come from a governance angle so improving the um yeah, the way in which we Collect and store and specify data, um, which yeah, there's definitely some big things coming down the pipeline there.
1: Well, let me let me dig dig into this a little bit. Um, so, for instance, uh, you're doing some inferential work about about the impact of certain education policies in the past, right? I don't know what those policies were. Get you know, we could just just spit out. So it could be example. I don't know more teachers per student, or I don't know what what, what are some what were some hot hot issues, uh, more autonomy maybe for local school administrations or something like that. Could you, to what extent could you make that analysis public? I mean, are we at the point where you could say, look, this is all the data. Hey, guys out in the public, guys in academia, people in academia, you you have access to this data. Look, here's exactly the code we used. What do you think of it? Can you do better? You know, maybe... Is is that how far are we from from that situation? Or think tanks can say, say "Oh, we reanalyze the exact analysis, the data the government used."
2: Yeah. So um, this is definitely something that lots of teams aspire to. I, in terms of like publishing model code of like a that kind of model, I haven't seen anyone do that yet. Um, it might it might have happened. I just might not have um, seen it. Um, there are definitely teams across government that are publishing a lot of processing code. I know MoJ have got like a GitHub that you can dig into to your heart's content. There's a lot on there. Ministry so, of um, Justice,
1: that is. Hmm. So, all right. So, do you have any examples of really cool, really interesting, and innovative uses of data science and government that are that are already out there or that are in the pipeline that you that you think we might want to know about?
2: Yeah, it's a, a good question. I was like, um, because I, I'm, I'm limited and like I can't talk about things that aren't um, that aren't public at the moment. And I was, yeah, trying to, trying to find things. They're not, they're not a huge amount um, that, I, that I found that, was like, that really stood out. Um, I think, like most, as I said, most of the things that I'm excited about in terms of what government is doing with data are, I mean, maybe you class this as data science, but it is in the sort of getting better processes and technology so that data can be shared and used for those kinds of um, more interesting data science projects down the line. The big change is going to be driven by, um, you know, there's like an integrated data platform, which is um, in the planning process, I believe at the moment, that uh, in principle could hold all um, or any data set from across government and be used to share that information and specify it more precisely.
1: That's fascinating. I know that there's a lot of... Oh, sorry, Henry, Code. I'm just
0: curious, do you find that data is kind of informing policy more now? Or is it, you know, saying Hmm. about the same or... I mean, obviously, you you can approach policy from a very kind of ideological perspective, but it could also be informed by data, but it could just be raw data, or it can be a step further, which is, okay, now I'm going to do some really sophisticated machine learning or something, and have that inform policy. I'm kind of curious where where things stand.
2: Yeah, so trying to isolate a trend would be difficult. I think, um, from my perception... Um there is um there i mean it does seem like people are talking more about data and want to use data in policy making um so i mean i yeah I see that that seems like the direction of travel, and as I said, the barriers to that are increasingly being broken down um so
1: for example what what barriers um, have been smashed
2: oh i said, I said like <laughs> I'm gonna be a stuck like a stuck record saying that it's it's a uh, Data sharing and data yeah. governance issues, um, which stop us stop us getting the data um, in the right format and stop yeah. different parts of government sharing with each other.
1: Maybe now would be a good time to tell us a little bit about what the Grants Office is doing and what you're doing at the Grants Office, and then we can return to the UK government o- overall. Uh, um, so you're collecting data about grant spending, as you said, over 100 billion pounds per year of grants. How many grants
2: are we talking about? There's about Two hundred thousand. Um that was in this is nineteen twenty, which is the last data that we published. those are grants to organizations. Um there's a further um yeah, large number of grants that go to individuals, but we have less precise I think information you on that. Twenty twenty.
1: You said nineteen twenty, didn't you?
2: Nine, yeah, that's so 2019 that's That's the financial. Oh got it. Because, okay, yeah,
1: okay. So. I was I was, right. I was a bit puzzled there. The yeah. jazz age. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Maybe next it would be interesting to speak about some of the limitations that you've seen in government um, with data. I mean, I I know you talked a little about the problem of, you know, data access and sharing and and, and all that, but uh, is it hard to hire people into Mm. um, roles in data in in, in government? Is it hard to to find it, like, make it really attractive?
2: Um, That's a good question. I think... um... I know that I know that teams have struggled to hire um, data scientists in the past, um, especially like uh, yeah, to really high skill levels. Um, I I yeah I don't know exactly why that would be. Might be a. Um, I mean, for really instance, that's
0: also a problem in industry. So so maybe it's not that. Yeah, it might different. It might. <laughs> uh, maybe a related question is: What are the kinds of data roles that you see government needing? No Is much. it more on the data science side? Is it data engineers? Is it data analysts or machine learning engineers?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think there haven't been a huge amount of data engineers uh, or data engineer jobs from my looking at jobs data um, and getting good data pipelines um, that are like robust and maintainable Um is yeah pretty huge for a lot of what we do um and get yeah, piping that data into the um into the hands of the analysts that, that already exist who are, are often often very good and have a lot of domain expertise um and are able to are like able to sit with the policy teams and and give them access so, so to does that, that data, perhaps
0: but... mean that some of your data analysts and data scientists are forced into the position where? They have to do the, some of the data engineering themselves and create yeah. those data pipelines. Yeah, exactly.
2: So, that, I mean, that's like I think one of the yeah one of those significant uh, things in terms of um, yeah time cost at the moment for a lot of a lot of analysts in government.
1: Well, why do you think that is? Why is it that that the government hasn't been hiring people in in data engineering? I mean, is it that would you suggest that maybe at 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 some of the management levels, people don't have the right uh, level of data awareness? I don't know. I mean, are there are there do you see big gaps I- at the management level? So, not. I think you referred to um, anal- analytical employees versus policies, uh, civil servants, and managers, or or, or or people in government. Do they underappreciate certain aspects of of the data science process?
2: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think that the when you dig into yeah, what like the data engineering part of data analysis is one of the ones that's like um, can be very very technical and often unseen by the end customer you just um the person the person that they will be working with will be the analyst who's communicating Mm, results to them and i can talk about that but the the actual the actual nuts and bolts of the the plumbing
1: that's a good point because when you're going to present it you're also not going to present all the steps that got you there because that's not that's not interesting but it's certainly necessary so they might right so you don't see how the i don't know the sausage is made or the plumbing as you say um i mean do you think that there's a need for more data literacy in the civil service or in political jobs. Sorry, I'm not pushing my agenda on you. I apologize. <laughs> that was a bit of a loaded question, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's difficult to say no. I mean, I think there's like, obviously the, the trade-off between different skills that people in policy could acquire. It's not the, you know, we obviously, ideally we want everyone to be skilled at everything. Um, Good point. I think there's, whether or not it's the the highest priority is is a question, but it definitely it definitely seems like a thing that every, well, I mean, I would want every um, person working in policy to understand the importance of because like data should feed into basically every decision uh, at that level to some degree.
1: Or statistical literacy. What is a particular concept in statistics um, that 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 you think could be better appreciated by policymakers are. do the, do things like that come up?
2: Mm. yeah I mean there might there's something broadly here around uncertainty that I think is yeah often under appreciated um yeah, just the fact that there's like there's just lots of different types of error between um us someone observing something out in the world and it getting to um some piece of analysis in front of you so there's there's something there I'm not sure exactly. The, what the answer to that is, but there's something there about just uh, appreciating the potential causes of um, error every stage of that process and like um, taking decisions based on that.
0: I'm also curious next about a bit of the tech stack that you guys use. Uh, I know you already mentioned that there's a leaning towards using uh, R uh, rather than, than Python, mm. which is actually maybe a little bit Flipped from what we see in industry, at least currently.
1: Henrik, you sounded surprised, perhaps, that R is being used so much in the civil service in the public sector. R being a coding language that a lot of statisticians use for working with data, and you're surprised that Python is used uh, less. Why were Why were you surprised about that? And for people who don't do coding. What what do you see as the main differences between R and Python here? So I'll start by saying that
0: I actually love R. So it's kind of yeah. heartwarming to see that R is still being used in, in the civil service. Um, R is a coding language that was created by statisticians for statisticians. Um, in some ways, it's not great because it's a little bit slow in terms of its speed compared to mm-hmm. uh, Python. But what is wonderful is just the sheer number of libraries and Mm. all all these packages that statisticians keep publishing. And so when they come up with like a new technique and a new method that they've invented, statisticians tend to publish that in R. Um, Python, on the other hand, um, is a general-purpose language. I know
1: it's now the dominant language taught at most universities. It is. Named after our, our funny friend's... Uh, the Monty Python gang, right?
0: Oh, I didn't know that bit of history. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. But uh, I, I guess what's interesting about Python is that because it's not just the data scientists and statisticians who are using it, but also like software engineers and data engineers and all kinds of other people, I think that's one of the reasons why it's gained so much traction. Uh, because if you need like one lingua franca of programming languages that everybody can use... Python it seems Python. to be a better choice uh, rather than kind of forcing all the software engineers to learn say R. Historically, that's definitely been the case that we prototype a lot of stuff in R, then when we put it into production, we translate it into Python. What I've seen the trend being, though, is that now people are actually prototyping in Python and then it just kind of stays in Python. Okay, that's fair. Um, that's- from what I've read about the history of Python, um Apparently Google was nervous about getting too deep into Java uh, because they felt that that would tie them into uh, Oracle too much unless they wanted a language of their own and they started promoting Python. Uh, what about things like uh, dashboarding tools? you guys use things like Tableau and Sisense or um, Power BI?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, like uh, everything uh, here, it's a huge amount of variation across government. When I was in the Department for Education, I think it was actually while I was there, everyone just got Power B I uh, to the point where we could uh, use it. Um that was great actually. Like um it, like really uh, stepped up our ability to share information across the department. In my last role we um didn't have anywhere to host host dashboards, so I ended up like building some HTML only dashboards in using R using um, our oh, Flex dashboard was the, uh, the package, which yeah, I'd recommend if you have an nowhere to host your dashboard. Host your dashboards in grants. We have Salesforce um, that uh, hosts all of our data, and we um, present it using sort of inbuilt dashboarding software for Salesforce. We also use Google Data Studio as well because we have a Google stack in Cavern Office.
0: Uh, what, what about databases? What kind of is it mainly? Well, I'm guessing you use SQL in some shape or form, but... Yeah, so in,
2: uh, in again, this is very... So in the Department of Education, um, I used um, used a lot of SQL. Um, a lot of data was stored in SQL. Um, in my previous job, um, it was just files. So just we had um, like a secure file system um, that was totally local um, and just read the data from there, uh, mostly in mostly as CSVs. And in my current role, uh, as I said, yeah, it's mostly stored in Salesforce, you,
1: you've talked about uh, bringing things together across across government agencies, cabinet, or all different offices. Um, what what uh, I mean? What are the limitations? What are the limitations there? Um, are there different systems that are that are really getting in the way? I think you mentioned something called the Data Standards Group.
2: So the Data Standards Authority. Um, sorry, sorry. It's like a, it new, a new unit. That's in the last year. Um, I mean, they've got a few different things they're doing, but um, one of the main things is improving uh, metadata for government. There's metadata for data sets across government, should I say? There's a few there's a few things with linkage. I mean, like the lack of consistent IDs with different parts of government is like a huge thing there. Um, IDs, you say? IDs yeah, to identify? So
1: ju- did you say IDs to identify? Are we talking about... So I'm, just to explain, metadata would be something about you know, every data set telling us what sort of data set it is, what year it was collected, what format it's in, how many variables there are, what sort of codings or, or features, what sort of codings those feature take, right? Is that, that we're talking about when we're talking metadata?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And IDs, like I think the the number of IDs for an individual, for example, across government is huge. And an individual in like a person, sorry, like yeah. a British
1: citizen or yeah. or bit a, or a business, it could also be, I suppose
2: yeah exactly um, and there's a there's a huge sort of cultural or um, legal there's huge cultural and legal barriers as well between um, yeah the current situation and um, departments sharing data more freely mm-hmm. so it's not actually central government but there was a project I um, saw a presentation from from the the London office for technology I think it was um, where they they managed to essentially create a central central place to host all this information for the boroughs of london and then they could coordinate the legal stuff across london rather than it being bilateral with all the different boroughs so like yeah that the lack of the lack of that for central government um means that yeah sharing is what i talk and the there's barriers to um the legal barriers sharing information are there um i must say i guess by legal barriers i mean like there's data protection issues with sharing a particular data set if it contains personal information that you need to be assured of various things about the the recipients of that data before you can share it and there's like a the cost is on the person giving away the data so there's an incentive to not do that
1: of course of course yeah i mean of course and then there's rules and then there's practice it's very easy to just be a bit casual about something that that where there's a, a rule saying one thing and and yeah, it just would be so much easier if I could do this. The temptation is to certainly to, to, to jump over that. Um, I remember once when I came back from holiday in Morocco, I got this big envelope saying something like, uh, your test came back and, and you have to report immediately because you have campylobacter this and that, you know, and like the whole, the whole building could, could read on the, it felt like it was like on the outside of the envelope or something ridiculous like that. Anyways, that was an attempt at an anecdote. Um, henrik do you mind if, if i if i move things on to uh so yes let's move on at the grants office what are some uh key way interesting ways that people have used data from the grant office uh, or could use data from the grants office to make big wins
2: hmm, that's a good question i think as i said i can talk about what we actually published so i said there's totally 200, 200 rows of data um at least in the last publication um and it's there is a lot of detail in there. It's um, there is a free text field that describes the aims and objectives of the grant, as well as the value and the recipient of that grant. And, I mean, it's, I guess it's, there's a lot of a lot of detail there on quite a large proportion of of government spending. Uh, our main our main user, um, I suppose that they, they sort of facilitate other users, uh, but our main user is 360 Giving, which is a yeah, great charity that defines this standard for grant making not just by government but also the rest of the economy so anyone who publishes grants data can publish to their standard and they've been accepted as the the government standard for publishing grants data um so they have a a website where they pull together all this information and they have uh, various ways to explore it fundamentally we we, i guess we publish it for transparency purposes so for yeah, one of the main goals there is in, in showing that um the government um be twisted with this money
1: the three i've been to that site it's pretty it's pretty neat and you can look up your friends and family and you know enemies and and rue all of the grants that they got um, the uh, it's so are, is 360 data is that a private company or a nonprofit company
2: yeah they were they were non yeah i see so they applied and got accepted as the I see. Um, sort of official government um, data standard
1: but anyone else can 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 link into your data and and run their own analyses and maybe put out their own dashboards or or whatever you want to call it interfaces. Exactly. They,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, one like explicit use case was recently. I mean, I just saw on Twitter someone um, linking to the data on to our data, but on three hundred and sixty giving. Um, just, I I'm not actually sure what the news story was, but there was some organization in the news, um, and they wanted to see what grants that organization had received. Um, so that's like sort of clearest example of. Um, how you might use this kind of transparency data.
1: That's just great to know that it's out there. Uh, Toby, why don't you tell us next about Hype?
2: Oh yeah. Um, so Hype is a so it's like a, vol- a volunteer project at the moment. So it's and it's run by civil servants. And the real um, the aim of Hype really is to provide advice and guidance to other civil servants who want to have a social impact. So. We have like workshops around figuring out what you value and what values you might want to bring um, to your job and therefore if you know what you value maybe you want to work in area a or b um, so that you can you can have an impact on the area okay Um,
1: so what's something that someone might value i mean doesn't everyone who doesn't everyone who works in the civil service want to have a big impact how do you define impact and how do you judge the impact or you know if i go to your site maybe i think that all this impact stuff is just hype right how do i know that it's a real thing <laughs> so i'm, I'm yeah, I mean, the first so, person I mean, to make so, that joke right? go ahead
2: yeah, i guess the i guess the maybe example might be climate change so um i think really asking people to reflect on what what things they value and someone yeah might might talk about their value they're valuing climate change and reducing um, the impact of climate change um and then the the goal really is to help people who have those sort of strong moral values to um, think about where in government they could actually work best and how they could apply their strengths. But most of yeah most of what we actually do is ends up being just um, encouraging people to really think about what it is they value because um, there's something people often um, don't have time for, or, um, don't make space for in their life to really reflect on this and how it might apply to their career. Sure.
0: So would you describe something what you're doing as a form of like career
1: coaching or mentoring or something yeah, exactly, of that nature?
2: Yeah. So it is that, yeah. As well as um, so we do some research to back it up.
1: So it's an is there's an online questionnaire I can take that sort of thing, and you get data. You have the data from that online questionnaire, and then I've, I mean I've looked at the page. You also give listings. Was it of particular jobs coming up on the civil service registry, and and give do you actually give a rating to those jobs?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's I mean it's an interesting um uh, data project that I've been involved with as part of hype um is essentially web scraping the civil service jobs website mm-hmm. um and then essentially trying to use the data within the job description to tag a job with um with the policy areas that it might mm-hmm. relate to so mm-hmm. if it mentions global warming or climate change. Oh, all right uh, it suggests that that job relates to climate change so um, we've now produced an app that allows you to filter jobs based on, um, based on that sort of policy area as well as other criteria. And so, I mean, really, what it's doing is just adding a feature to that to the data that exists and structuring it in a way that allows you to explore it.
0: Is part of that also trying to measure the potential impact of these different jobs? Or yeah, I think, I
2: mean, you could you could try and do that. I think that would be very difficult from a job mm. description. I think, it, like, it would. Um, because if there's, there's a lot going into that, I mean, you could, I mean, I know that, I, I mean,
1: <laughs> the, the people at 80,000 hours, the organization, 80,000 hours, that's kind of their focus. They're, they're trying to assess the, mm. the impact of, of different jobs and career paths in different ways. Have you, have you been inspired by any of the stuff that they're, that they're doing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so 80,000 hours, yeah, a charity that does this for, for all jobs, not just in the civil service They yeah, provide uh, yeah, advice and research for anyone. Um, looking to have an impact with queer so yeah, we're definitely, definitely inspired by inspired their, by them and trying to apply the same sort of ideas to to the civil service. So suppose
1: um, suppose that I'm. Let me maybe give you a case. So suppose that I'm a young, up and coming. I'm graduating. I'm graduating soon from a great university. You know, uh, Manchester or Birmingham or, or something like that. Um, I'm trying to remember which one you went. I wanted to to put that in there. Um, sorry,
2: Liverpool. Liverpool,
1: right? Liverpool and uh i really care about uh global poverty and i really care about the situation of of people who are getting diseases and malnutrition and uh maleducation in, in other countries in, in let's say in africa um and i'm concerned about the 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 cuts in uh the, the government's promise the uk government's promise to spend a certain percent on uh development aid or development assistance now, I will go to your site, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking of entering the civil service, or maybe I'm already in the civil service. What sort of things might come up that that would atr- appeal to me, and why do I think I should have an impact in those contexts?
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, if you're interested in global poverty, there will be lots of um, – and, yeah, improving the well-being of um, some of the poorest people in the world. Then there are um, lots of jobs that will be mostly in the um, sort of Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office um but also across government so um yeah overseas development assistance which is the main mechanism um by which um government addresses global poverty is spent in other departments as well uh so um yeah i mean the app that we've got does does allow you to search for jobs that that mention oda um there's a there's probably a broader point i'd make though, that um, maybe if, yeah, if you're, like, fresh out of university, that trying hard to go into the policy area might not always be the best strategy, because, yeah, I guess my model of uh, impact in work in general is that you first get really good at the thing that you want to do, the thing that you think your strengths and, like, natural ability um, pushes you towards, um, and then you will have far more capacity to then like work in the area that you um you think you can have or you think you want to have the greatest impact so as i said we talked about i talked about values um talk about values earlier but the the advice isn't necessarily just yeah reflect on your values um and then jump straight into that area mm. it could be just to think about okay how could what's the best way of me uh, um, having an impact in this area and that could be yeah developing your own abilities first which might be Going into the fast stream, for example.
1: Going into the fa- the fast stream, which is which which will sort of ex- if I recall, it exposes you to a broader range of uh, aspects of the civil service in the UK government. Is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly. You get you get moved around to lots of different policy areas and get exposed to different types of policymaking.
1: What what um, if I wanted to build technical uh, skills in, let's say, things having to do with statistics, data science, and policy analysis? Is there a particular part of the civil service or or outside the civil service that you think would be especially promising?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it. I mean, it will depend very much on the the skills you want to develop. I think there are there will be some civil service specific skills around, um, yeah, communicating with uh, ministers and in that sort of policy context. You you'll want to develop if you think having an impact as an analyst in the civil service is where you want to go. Um, but that's but yeah, not the technical it seems side. Like right? Suppose I yeah, wanted
1: to become an expert. I don't yeah. know using doing Bayesian forecasting and for for policy choices or something like that.
2: Hmm. I mean, I I think the the answer to that would for me would likely be wherever you think is doing the best Bayesian forecasting is the place you want to be. So, are you going to learn from the people who are? I don't know where that is. Yeah, but, how would
1: I know, right? Uh,
2: <laughs> but um, but yeah, I would like surrounding yourself with the people who are um, who you perceive to be the best at that thing. Is be like the way that you um, also become really great.
0: So you might even recommend to someone joining the private sector and developing those skills first before yeah. moving on to doing some specific policy area.
2: Yeah, I that's think that's sort of a, that's, a, that's a really good idea. Um, if yeah, if that's the best way of developing developing that expertise. And like private sector is private sector experience. Sorry, is um, is like well respected in the civil service.
0: All right. Well, maybe moving on a little bit. Uh, I'm very curious about ways in which the private sector can leverage government data. I know there's obviously organizations like the ODI, the Open Data Institute, that encourage the use of open data. Let's imagine that uh, I'm a private company and I'm really interested in using some open data from government. Where would be good places for me to go look for such
1: data right how do i know what's available
2: yeah yeah so there's a there's a central statistics publishing um feed from across government um i can't remember the address but if you search for government uh, statistics or gov.uk statistics you'll find that feed there's no like one repository for data so that's obviously statistics is um will be a combination of data and reports um but no there isn't um, one place where all the data is hosted. Uh, Would you start the at the ONS? Of, yeah, so ONS do publish a huge portion of the data that government publishes and uh, and the statistics that the government publishes um, as well. So that's a, um, a place to search.
0: And I guess specifically with the data that you're working with, the, this grants database, are there any specific applications that you uh, imagine could be interesting?
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's something about... Um, Like understanding, I mean, understanding where government is giving grant money to Mm. seems like it would be useful to organizations who, for example, want to apply for grant funding from government. So, yeah, understanding where money has gone in the past uh, might have implications for how you want to um, or which parts of government you want to look for grant funding in the future.
1: Do you know, do you know about Matthew Lesko? Have you heard of him? So this was this was an infomercial on American television in I guess the 2000s or the 90s, and there's this guy wearing a suit made out of question marks, and he was saying the government's giving money away to everyone. This person got a hundred thousand to build a house. Come order my new. So you could, if you had access to that, and you were good, uh you know, you had a good way with words, you could be the next the next Matthew Lesko and put out an infomercial. Just I'm just putting it out there. Feel <laughs> feel if anyone listen to this podcast, feel free to run with that one. <laughs> Well, thinking about uh, contracting and and government uh, working with with outside contractors, uh, maybe you and your current work, or either with with the grants office or hype or your previous work, maybe there's some questions that came up that you thought, you know, if I had time and money to hire a contractor or to hire a, a data science and marketing firm, Uh, I would love to have them investigate this or just help me get through this, this, uh, this sticking point. Um, I mean, I know in my own work, there, there's, there's things like that. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, how do we deal with this problem of, let's say, unrepresentative survey responses? What's an important challenge that, that, does anything come up with you? It's like an important challenge we could discuss.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, the first thing that comes to mind is, this project i mentioned previously where we're web scraping and trying to look at um the jobs data and look at where different um different policies being made across government um so the process we've implemented so far has been what feels quite rudimentary in just like looking for keywords um but it seems like there's a there should be a wealth of information about yeah what uh, policies are being made in which area of government um from that that we could extract
1: Bit. um let me understand let me it. understand that a little bit better and henrik feel free to jump in here so they're hiring you they're not but if they were they're hiring you to help clarify the situation what exactly is the project that you're trying to do and what is the point what is the point of confusion or the sticking point
2: yeah so the the project really is you've got um you know tens of thousands of of job adverts with the full description of that job, as well as lots of contextual information about the department and the the salary and the grade, okay. and the location. And it's a question of just who is doing what across government. So I am a little lost uh, as to
1: who is doing what part. So we're talking about hype right I now, know. isn't it? This is this is the yeah, hype. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, so it's I guess what what um who's working on you know policy area X across government. So like if you wanted to know where all the climate change um, work was happening for example right this right. data set there's like just so much text okay it and feels like there's something you could do here
0: so essentially what you're saying is you're you would be looking for some like you know, P or nlu natural, natural language, language processing process. that natural understanding to to try to really hone what are the the policy areas that each one of these job specs or is or, offering is that, is that right
2: yeah, exactly. So, and like, um, there's, there's probably some other things about the structure of this data that um, could come out of that as well, like, well, let's get um, let's, well, yeah, just the kind of work that's happening, not just the policy area.
1: Well, let's dig in a little dig in a little bit. So I want to maybe make a predictive model is of does is this job likely to involve issues of climate change for more than let's say half of the hours that I spend or, or for at least 25% of the, or, or is it likely to involve issues of climate change, where the civil servant will have a meaningful impact? Right. So I'm trying to predict a probability of maybe a binary outcome or maybe, uh, maybe it's a continuous outcome of how much relevance does this job have to climate change in, in an impactful way? That could, would that be a reasonable problem that, that your, you know, that your algorithm would want to, to help with?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And then the data that's coming in. Now you're saying it's not a database that you have access to. It's actually you're scraping web pages. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, why is it that the government doesn't make it, make this available in a, a database format through something like an API? Do you know?
2: Um, I mean, so that, that definitely could happen. I think there's, um, yeah, that, that just hasn't happened yet. The case hasn't been made uh, strongly enough.
1: And um, what sort of feedback loops are you getting? Or what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, in other words, how do I know if I was predicting well with this? How would I how would I judge that?
2: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, I could, I could. Uh, think of ways you could possibly do that. I think manually tagging jobs based on expert opinion uh, might work or getting in contact with the uh, the actual people involved in that job. So if you've got the contact details of the live manager, for example, you could validate any prediction.
1: So you have a huge amount of, of data, amount of, of, of observations, amount of cases, whatever you want to call it. And uh, someone reading over them carefully with a lot of time we could make that our gold standard if this person says yes this is a climate change job or this is a cli-, you know let's let's keep it binary to be simple here that could be our the way that we would validate whether our predictive model had worked right we could also think about how well that you know how well wh- whether that that person's opinion actually uh was valid in, in other words is it in fact a, correct but let's say for now that it's that we're going to take as a gold standard what an expert in the field whether they would judge this as being climate-related, right? So now, what is your, at the moment, what is your model doing with this, let's say, text-based data? And do you have any, and are you doing any sort of validation of it or, or training of it that allows it to improve?
2: So, I mean, so the Kuhn model is super simple because it's just using the existence of uh, keywords within that database, which is like the, the quickest thing mm-hmm. to implement. Um, and I mean, it has some, the basic validation of checking checking jobs that that have got that come out highly from these tags that look like they're climate change jobs and then like adjusting weightings based on things that look correct or incorrect um but yeah, it just obviously relies on the building up of a keyword database in the first instance which is um somewhat arbitrary like it feels like there's a lot of content there that isn't being used
0: so I'm kind of curious if you imagine your next step beyond kind of the simple keyword approach is to develop like a so-called transformer, uh, these, you know, natural language processing models where, um, you're trying to embed keywords into some kind of conceptual space. Uh, So we have like words that are not just, you know, climate change, but things that are related to it, like, I know, CO two levels or, or or indicators that might map onto um the things that you're actually interested in knowing about.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean that that's that's um, essentially the what well, it feels like there's there's some solution in that space, but yeah, that's not um yeah, not something I've done. There's there's maybe also something about the sort of profile of the job that might be really interesting to look at, like, you know, is a job dealing with ministers directly a lot or um these kind of things might be important for someone who's mm. um, looking for a job in the civil service. Well, Henrik, I mean, how
1: do you think Perfusion would, have, or how would you approach as a data science approach this problem? What what next steps do you think you would take?
0: I really think it's kind of that transformer route of using an LP and LU. Um, it's, I know, something that we've actually been working on with a, a charity uh, just recently, where they're trying to understand the topics, like health topics that... Uh, young women are interested in learning about, um, and they've actually built a like an AI chatbot. So, um, with the keywords, it, I mean that that obviously works great to a certain extent because you're saying, okay, this word is important, climate change is important, sustainability is important, but you have to manually go through all of these things as. A human, and, and you kind of hard code that is that right um, okay. and um, the, the beauty of using these embeddings, these transformers is that it 's almost like you 're dealing with a vector space, but instead of a vector space of numbers it 's like a vector space of of words and concepts that relate to each other, and so there might be something that relates to climate change or relates
1: to sustainability. Mm-hmm. That's close enough in this uh, space. When you say space, vector you space, can, you just mean a multidimensional space, basically, right? Yes, yeah, okay. I, I do. I do. I, I mean, the, well, I'm not going to get into that, oh, sorry, but, okay. but yes, there are
0: ways in which you can define operations in a almost vector space-like thing, like queen relates to woman in the same way that um, king relates to man. And, and so you, you can sort of do things like addition in a sense um,
1: I see your eyes lighting up but, here yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah obviously something really fun to, to explore and
2: uh... so, so just so, yeah. so that would mean that um would you just plug all the data in there and you just get like a whole bunch of these different topics would it um, and then you'd have to like somehow filter them to ones you care about or would you like prime it with like a climate change, and then it finds the related things? How
0: would that? Correct. So you, you would start out with your existing list of keywords that you've identified, and that would allow you to um, find the uh, well, w- 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 yeah, associate and find other things. Uh, you'd have a, you could scan through the the job spec, and then see if there's anything in there that's close enough to the keywords that you actually care about even though it's not the exact keyword oh, yeah. you're looking for
1: okay well I, it sounds like our producers saying we got to wrap this up but one thing I did Toby maybe just just as, a, as an ending point if someone wanted to, wanted to work to help you with this problem if someone wanted to work on this data do they have a way of engaging with you do you share have you are you sharing this data on Kaggle or something where someone could try some of these techniques
2: um I'm it's not shown Kaggle no I mean it's good it's a good idea okay. um because it is, it is all is all public data so maybe I'll take it on there I think, um, yeah, someone wants to get in contact as well. They can yeah, find me awesome. on LinkedIn.
1: We can we can put a link to that. All right, terrific. All right, well, Henrik, let's get to the fun part.
0: All right, so we have, um, uh, well, first a question and then a little game. Um, so the first question is the Oracle question. Uh, tell us about one thing that you would really like to know about... How the world is going to be like a hundred years from now?
2: Oh wow! Um, <laughs> I mean, the only question that really pops into my head is like, how important is AI in our lives? Um, how much? How much of the decision making and um, and of, of both for individuals and societies uh, relates to artificial intelligence?
0: Are you worried about a Skynet type scenario by any
2: chance? Um, I have like some. <laughs> The minor worries.
1: A lot of a lot of people are worried about that.
0: Yeah, yeah well, there's a whole area of AI safety research, so I think it's a serious concern to, yeah. to to have. The second thing we have is the the correlation game. The correlation game is where we give you two variables, and um, there there may or may not be a causal link between them, but more importantly, um, there's obviously a correlation uh, be between them. And all you have to do is guess any number you want between negative one and one as to what the correlation zero might Zero is also a correlation. Yes, yeah. zero is a correlation. So obviously uh one being a perfect positive correlation, negative one being a perfect negative correlation, and then zero being, uh, you know, I don't think there is much of a correlation between just, these two things at all. And so the data we've got for that comes from the World Happiness Report from 2021. And it is perceptions of corruption in the country, and how that compares to levels of social support. How much does the government
1: give to, yeah, help people out? And Um, should we assume that's like? Well, just we're looking at ranked correlations. Like, sorry, Toby, you should be asking the the questions. I apologize.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, um, just, just coming at it, coming at it from a much less technical side than you, David. I'm thinking my assumption is that, assuming that the judgments of corruption are correct, that, that those corrupt governments are less likely to be giving out money and social support. We
1: need him to come up with a
2: number. Is that
1: right? Yes.
2: I'm going to, I'm going to skew towards zero because of my uncertainty. So I'm going to say negative uh, 0.3. Okay. Let so Let
1: me. Let me. Let me make this even more fancy. All right. What was your ninety-five percent confidence interval for that cor- <laughs> correlation? And we can then we can then start cal- seeing how calibrated our guests are. Ninety-five percent confidence interval, ninety percent confidence. Ninety-five is too much.
2: Um, maybe minus point eight to two point two. Sorry,
1: to point two and minus point eight to point two. All right, Henrik. All right, so you're right. It is a negative correlation,
0: and actually, your your point estimate is pretty good. Great, actually. Um. Yeah, uh, so uh, the actual number is uh,
1: negative uh, 0.22. Says a lot about the civil service and, and their training and their high standards here. So congratulations. Yeah,
0: yeah so you're, you're only off by 0.08. I, I think that puts you in really good stead in the, on the leaderboard there. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the
1: show. It's been a real pleasure speaking yeah. to you. Terrific. And Toby, and, are there any uh, links you want to plug? Uh,
2: do you want to plug Hype? Yeah, Hype.org.uk That's with an um, I uh, and not an, a
1: Y, right? H-I-P-E With an
2: I, sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to yeah, sign up to our newsletter and sign up for coaching, yeah, check out the grants data. Um, just search for Government Grants Data uh, UK, you'll get it. Yeah, and tell us, tell us what you think of that data as well. It'd be great.
0: Brilliant. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at hello at profusion.com or on Twitter at PRFSN. Uh, But for now, thanks, Toby, for coming on today. Thank you. And thanks, David, as always. Pleasure.
1: Goodbye. Goodbye.